You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back with a bed bug free episode of Keep It. A metaphorically. That's what we guarantee. Yes. Unlike the New York Times Great newsroom, <laughs> which has bed bugs, apparently. My enemies at the Daily got what's coming to them. <laughs> By the way, you are wearing Normani merch. How is that even possible? Because I'm always doing what the other girls aren't doing. The I'm just saying, like, are you, is, <laughs> no. is her website already popping with it? The internet <laughs> does the devil's work. The internet, okay? I'm in the black web. You know I get my... It's called the dark web? Fashion from the black... <laughs> huh? It's called the dark web. No, I got this from blackplanet.com. Oh, God. Oh, so this is, like, bootleg merch? This is, <laughs> this is just hood shit? <laughs> this is internet hood shit. I right? didn't get it from Black Planet, but no, yes, most of my merch is, like, bootleg. My I have a little are, bit of that. I have to make them my I have a Janet Jackson control shirt where I realized the word control is written on it and what might be marker. I want to tell you both, no one's surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Not a single person. Uh, Right now, Normani doesn't really have any merch. I would think she wouldn't, yeah. Yeah. And the one shirt I did find at Urban Outfitters, they only had it in like a medium. Urban Outfitters is already on to Normani. Who told them? The youth. The youth. The youths don't have money, so they go to Urban Outfitters. Okay. They shop there again now. Are they still selling, like, they uh, call it thriller you- LPs for ironic value? Well, I mean, maybe not thriller ones. Maybe not. I have saw it there recently. <laughs> the highs. Oh. I mean, they are the biggest retailer for uh, vinyl, and hipsters need their sign that they care about things. I always wonder if they are secretly the most popular bookstore in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to have a book at um, Urban Outfitters. Yeah, called like 25 Ways That, you know, 25 Ways Straight People Blow, or whatever the books there are called. And it's just straight books. Well, Simon and Schuster, call up Lewis. Um, <laughs> can't wait to hop on that idea. Um, speaking of the youths, mm-hmm. I had a very confusing time watching the VMAs last night. This always happens to me when I watch the VMAs. They introduce people. One time, a few years ago, Lizzo was just a uh, a commentator, yeah. and she was next to two people who just went by the fir- the single names, and their names were Mike and Steak. <laughs> I mean, who is Steak? What is Mike? But on the flip side, I don't. On the flip side of it, I remember 2013. I was waiting to watch Justin Timberlake, you know, moonwalk his way across the floor, right into Black History, into, into, <laughs> into civil rights. And uh, this, I saw this girl with a high ponytail and a Kinsey dress, and it was Ariana Grande. I had no idea who she was. Right. So some of these kids will turn out to be people we will spend our dollars to go see. Well, most of them. Because I was asking you this last night, Riri, while we were watching. Um, oh, yeah. Hi, guys. It's Riri. Oh, did oh. we formally reintroduce <laughs> Riri Cheney? Whatever. She's back. She's been here. They recognize the voice. Let's move on. There was, um, we were watching the hosts, mm-hmm. and I had to ask Twitter this. I was like, do 
People know who these people are. Well, specifically the, people, the host who is in well, his mid forties. I thought that was definitely <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton. I was like, the even badder Santa has I mean, arrived. Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah, you know your favorite Newark uncle was there, and I only knew him because I watched comedians in cars getting coffee. Because I'm the only person who is excited about that Chuck Lorre show about a white man falling in love with a Jamaican nurse. But <laughs> I heard Anne Margaret was on a recent season. <laughs> yeah, it, they did, couldn't figure out who they were producing the show for, and I know that I'm no longer a tween. I don't miss it. In case you're wondering, um, but. You have this like forty-something comedian who who is talking down to the entire population of the kids who are there. Like, oh, not everyone's gonna get a you know award tonight. No participation awards, and it's like this old two thousand seven idea of millennials are entitled. Did he make jokes about birds at one point? Yes, he also was like, I just learned the definition of shade. Truly, throw a knife at me. He uh, kept making like jokes about his parents. Like, it was like my mom's backstage, you know, like grilling up an eggplant. My parents, I was like, Right, zucchini enough for everyone. Yeah, I was like, sir, are you just living with your parents? Is that what you're telling (laughs) us? This is also, I I don't mean to say this just to be uh, shady or mean. Truly, was he booked because there was some A-lister that the publicist or the manager could only get if they then gave his other client the hosting duties on the show? Because why is it this guy? Right, especially because it felt like... He had no idea who any of these yeah. people were. Right. Even the famous ones. Because I feel like what's always been fun about the show is at least the comedians would be familiar or mm-hmm. even have a cursory knowledge. I mean, the joke was silly, but I still remember whenever Britney was introduced doing I'm a Slave for You. And that was the first time she had debuted it. And afterwards... um, Chris Rock was like, well, Britney then went from the Mickey Mouse Club to the strip club. Right. Yeah. No, uh, I he always knew who she was. Whenever I think about the VMAs, I think about the 99 VMAs, which is before the one you're talking about, which was Chris Rock's first hosting duty. And I still think of that two as years the, before. Correct. That the definitive award hosting gig, because you just articulated it. Basically, he was invested in the performers, excited about hyping the performers, mm-hmm. but still doing his own thing and a little bit removed and sarcastic about it. We also. Um, that particular award show did what I thought this year's was good at, which is it incorporated old and new, new and mm-hmm. cool ways. That one we had, you know, Lauren Hill was video of the year. We had that corn freak on a leash video that everyone couldn't shut up about. But then also I Paul McCartney and Madonna were there. Yes. No, I, I had the album. I had the album. This year we got the old hip hop tribute. So we got Queen Latifah and Naughty by Nature. And that was cool to see. Like you don't expect actual Grammy like old music tributes on the VMAs anymore. And I was glad to educate the children a little bit. I mean, I always want to hear who you call a bitch, like, anytime. And by the way, she sounded great. She sounded great. She was wearing a floor-length puffy coat. Way to go, Dana Owens. Do what you got to do. It was quite (laughs) the antidote to uh, whoever decided to have her present with John Travolta. Particularly a (laughs) gay-themed video of the year. And by the way, you you know... Taylor was aware that she was winning that beforehand. Well, she disappeared immediately after. They Correct. Moved, they moved video of the year to, what, 90 minutes into the show so that she could bounce? Like, it was obviously rigged. Just Gr- saying. Yeah. I mean, would anybody call that the best video of the year? That's sort of the problem with the VMAs now, right? Yeah. It feels, it's all fan voted or 
weighted towards whatever's most popular, et cetera. When like 25 years ago, things like, not that this was an unpopular video, but Jameer Cry's Virtual Insanity, for example, was the best video of that year. Mm -hmm. Smashing Pumpkins Tonight Tonight was the best video of that year. And it wasn't necessarily the most popular one. You know, it was you know, like Michael Jackson didn't win every year in the 80s. Right. Having well, worked at MTV too, it's just knowing that behind the scenes of like the struggle now to even get talent to come to their award show. Yeah, it's if you're booking someone for the show, that means they're getting a performance and that means or that means they're winning. Something. Correct. Yeah. It was a real, you know, like look into the celebrity bleachers situation. Like, I know it is a full hockey ring. Apparently they do that in Jersey, but it was the show was in Jersey, by the way. It was in Newark. Why? <laughs> because the ghetto <laughs> needs to be represented. Like it was in I mean, it was really insane to watch the spotlights over to Gigi Hadid in her blonde version of her sister, Bella Hadid. Like, they really, just the booking agents got who they could get. And it was, I don't know. I mean, I you know, They all, kept flashing to Queen Latifah, who was the only person in the audience left, based on what I saw. She was the only one left because she was last. Yes, mm -hmm. right, right. The main issue with those shows, too, if you attend them, at a certain point, you see that the celebrities are no longer in their seats because they take the fuck off. right. Uh, there are only a couple of award shows left where the non-winners are around the whole time. You know, that's why, in a way, the Oscars are still so exciting. Well, you really need that for shows that are part of the industry, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Oscars, people stay for the Grammys. Yeah, the Emmys, uh, whatever. The Emmys, you know, the Globes, because those are so ingrained into the industry, right? The VMAs was not really a part of the music industry. It was supposed to be this disruptor. And now we've gotten to the point where we don't need that disruption because there are other disruptions th beyond MTV. MTV became the establishment. Right. And now people don't need it or care about it. And it's things where younger artists may go there because they grew up on MTV and it still sort of feels important to I them. Mean, Normani is a great example yeah. of that. Like motivation is is a hodgepodge of references and homages to the people that help her grow up. And to have that brown girl representation on a um, uh, faux 106 in Park at the beginning of the video. But it doesn't it has to re figure out a way in this new climate of, you know, it's their Instagram content. It's their tick, tick and talking of <laughs> how to actually be relevant, because, yeah, we're watching these videos, but we're not going to MTV to watch all of the countdown on Saturday morning like we used to. So does it need to exist? I'm cool with just watching. Are you the one uh, gays, 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 which right. is happening right now? But. Of the a VMA award show, other than Taco Bell and Pepsi, who's really making money or who's really caring about this? And Pepsi. <laughs> there was so much Pepsi content. We thank you, Missy Elliott, for uh, being an icon. Love Pepsi. <laughs> Pepsi loves you, girl. But speaking of homages, it was amazing to see Lizzo during that package about Missy Elliott talking about how rad she found her. And by the way, that was the highlight of the whole show, right? The Missy Elliott Vanguard. Oh, of course. oh, yeah. Of course. Because not only was the performance great, but it was theatrical. Yes. And also it gave you exactly what she always brings, which is warped whimsy. Like it's, it's joy, <laughs> but it's also always fucked up and also always 
funny. When she did that, um, what's that song from This Is Not a Test? Pass That Dutch. Mm-hmm. And she's, it was like the movie Signs and like somebody got beamed up into a spaceship yeah. oh, from a cornfield. Guys, I am laughing. Yeah, she's in a scarecrow outfit, like bobbling atop the whole thing. So funny. Also, big ups to Allison Stoner, the little girl who used to dance in all those videos. She was featured and she was just breaking it like she had to. I literally screamed. Also, no, I, for a minute I was like, is that her? And, and then, then I was acquainted. Because that could have been, you know, Tony Basil or something. I had no idea. <laughs> well, I literally her jacket said Allison it said on the Because yes, right, I went yeah. to Ira, I was like, if that's Allison Stone, I'm going to lose it. I yeah. wanted to be Side note, I also really enjoyed um, Alex Wong from So You Think You Can Dance. One of the great contestants Taylor. of all time. Uh, we'll get to him in a minute. Mm. Uh, or maybe we could just mm. sideways into Taylor. Now, the thing that I loved about Missy's performance, as opposed to Taylor's performance, or so many of the other performances, are that it did sort of give you a sense of, this is who Missy is. Yep. Um, this is theatrical. And this is fun. You think of great VMA performances. You think of Madonna um, doing Like a Virgin. You know, you think of Britney Spears in mostly all of hers, except for the recent one with (laughs) G-Eazy. You know, you think of like the NSYNC ones. You think of some sort of interesting staging that feels almost like a music video itself. Yeah, I'll be missing you, whatever. she knew how to, like... Like Missy knew how to use the stage. It like started from a pre-tape and it mo- it really flowed and like really captured the entire audience. Whereas Miss Swift could have been dropped into any background, and she she uh, opened with that "You Need to Calm Down" song, which I'm sick of. I mean, at this a, point. A, it, it was giving me a lot of like Miley. Uh, uh, we can't stop using uh, big black bodies, but she swapped out that for uh, drag queens and queer people. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. It feels very just like plastered on, but not good plaster, that shit that's going to fall and kill you. And then it <laughs> went away and she stripped it down to her guitar, which she always loves to do. Uh, Lover, I was not happy to hear Lover because it's one of my least favorites on the album, but it is starting to grow on me. But we'll get to that when we talk about the new album. Oh, right. I'm so um, excited to talk about this album. <laughs> <laughs> we dragged you here specifically for this reason. <laughs> Torture me yeah. in a podcast studio. I just feel that so many of the performances, even Normani's, you know, it was about the dancing, obviously. Normani just gave no, you a version of the video, yeah, I thought. It had no extra oomph to it. Yeah. Which, you know? I, which, I mean, two weeks after the video was out, like for a girl who's only been opening, I've, I heard her set was often truncated when she was opening for Miss Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. She did what she had to do, which was like for people who weren't on Twitter who were, who didn't see it trending, she got herself out there. True, yeah. Did she need that mic? Well, no. No, she did not. <laughs> did she and Camila Cabello speak backstage? I doubt it. But she did what she had to do. <laughs> did Sean and Camila speak backstage? No, right. they I only, doubt it. I think they only whisper. God, you know what, though? I'm going to uh, shout out to Sean Mendez and muscular ectomorph rep- representation. Weirdly, he's kind of an unusual body type to be. I mean, like, I just think of, like, buff people are Channing Tatum size now. Mm-hmm. And he is sort of, like, buff he's Sigourney weaver you know, yeah, which I, I am excited about. He, he has a interesting um I love that that was like trend alert (laughs) (laughs) uh pop sugar vertel a lot of the boys with you know that sort of like denim like sleeveless look Sean Mendez did that because I don't think he's ever worn a sleeve right and um sorry it would hurt uh, him Joe Jonas Joe Jonas Joe Jonas who I was um palpitate over I slept on the Jonas Brothers (laughs) and this is that was my fault and I now understand why he 
gets to fuck Sansa. I understand now, <laughs> and I'm really about it. That was a cute performance. It was. Yeah. The Jonas Brothers? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, too, that they are currently the most successful group that performed. Yeah. Because Sucker, like, was a number one, uh, and Taylor hasn't even had that this era. So that is really strange. Yeah. By the way, I just want to uh, uh, shout out also to Missy Elliott's speech, which was I, I love when people successfully give an emotional speech, even if it's a list of names, uh, because Peter Gabriel, when I she brought up seen. when she said when she brought up Peter Gabriel, I was like, correct, because she her whole career uh, in videos has been like a wild extension of the sledgehammer video, you mm-hmm. know, just like kooky imagery, but also like making you laugh, making you love the art form of music video itself as you're like into her vibe. Yeah, I guess finally, I would just say that that's what the show was missing. It's the MTV Music Video Awards, and I don't think I got any sense of music video last night. Mm -hmm. And even the people I don't know, it's like, introduce me to some aspect of their video. I don't know. Right, right, right. They can't find the way back into videos, even though they are still very popular. It's so interesting, the world of, we watch one new music video every three months, but we actually do watch it. Right, we shut down the internet and every party uh, this past weekend to talk about Normani's video. Correct. And yet the VMAs couldn't translate that. MTV couldn't translate that. Yeah. Maybe we need the YouTube video awards. Oh, God. No, please don't let the internet have more things. (laughs) Also, by the way, in LOL, Billie Eilish's uh, acceptance speech for Best New Artist from a bus. And also her having to convey excitement is the Kristen Wiig (laughs) character of all time. I just want to thank my fans and all y'all to like, thanks, man. Like it was. (laughs) She almost woke up to give that speech. Been loving MTV since forever. Wow. Can't Sorry, I'm, I'm in Russia. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, to her classic MTV is Jersey Shore. I anyway, mean, she we're all terribly old. She couldn't even have someone hold the camera for her. <laughs> Which, right. maybe final note, that Sebastian host, I was like, people watch you for the reality at this point, MTV. Maybe have like the Are You The One cast host. Totally, yeah. They're already page, fun baby. personalities. Yes. And they're also deeply queer and uh, deeply disturbed, amusing, both <laughs> unintentionally and intentionally. And they're young, but their personalities. So they like are also in tune with the people who will be performing. Yeah. And by next year, they'll have been on the challenge. So true. It'll be great. We'll be aware if, if they can climb a cargo net. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or just bring out that 600 um, year old mummy, Johnny Bananas. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> the sarcophagi on these shows. <laughs> uh, this is going to be quite the episode. Yeah, um, we're going to be talking about all of our favorite people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karamo Brown and his implosion on the internet. Um, you smiled the whole time, though. Well, um, surprise, we've actually brought him back to the show today. I'm kidding. <laughs> he will never step anywhere near the Kiva <laughs> studio again. And uh, we will also be talking about Taylor Swift, her new album, Yay. her new political activism. She cares now. Yes. And we'll be joined by Robin Thede, um, the genius behind a black lady sketch show. Which is Can't the show wait. to it watch. Is it right now. It yeah. is it. So stick around. There's more Keep It.
And we are back with my lovers, my fellow lovers. Mm. Uh, and I'm not talking about Kylie Minogue fans. Uh, oh, right. Because her fan base, they're called The Lovers. By the way, not one of my favorite singles of her, All the Lovers. All the Lovers? Yeah. Mm, I like it. I've, it's too airy, kind of like the album Lover by Taylor Swift. <laughs> you know, by the way, uh, J-Lo's fans are also called Lovers. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm still high off the outfit I saw her wearing in promotional stuff for that movie Hustlers. The She's wearing a bright brown, oh no. Yeah, brownish purple leather outfit leather, with a leather beret. High neck, like flared skirt and a beret. Bitch looks great. I mean, we could talk about Hustlers all day because but. the press tour has been amazing, like with Cardi. Hold on, actresses. <laughs> Did you see where she realized that the actors could actually fight in fight scenes? Right, yeah. yeah. She watched them for three whole ass minutes, <laughs> like in a corner, and then finally was like, wait, hold on, actresses. So y'all are really fighting. And I was like, I saw her like calculating the court fees she could like maybe save. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, we are here to actually talk about Lover. The new album from Taylor Swift. It's been a minute since yes. we've talked about Taylor Swift. I'm um, kidding. I feel like we talk about her. Thanks for every having week. me here to talk about her. <laughs> this is not Riri Strong Street, which is interesting because Riri can go there on most topics. So Riri is, uh, is it's, uh, deaf and dumb on this one because <laughs> the sound of her voice makes me hurt. But we're going to do it. So All right. Excited. Well, uh, last Friday, Taylor dropped her seventh album, and it only took two days for it to become 2019's top selling album which i will call depressing yeah well to be fair adele hasn't dropped anything yet true so <laughs> adele is going to gay bars in new york and dropping verses off of nikki tracks and that's what she should be doing right now yes i'm ready for adele's rap album but until then adele's two-step album we have lover which i like i it has moments uh, here's the thing i always think 1989 is her crowding achievement because one the production is tight two uh, really not many songs I skip outside of Shake It Off, which does nothing for me and never has. Incorrect. It's actually Red. It's her crowning achievement. But, but there are I will always give you 1989. You, there are songs you would skip on Red. Whenever so people, whenever people, they're going to do this for a while. They're going to do this the whole time. I would say <laughs> there are always tracks on Red that people skip, though, even though their favorite tracks are also on that album. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, Lover, uh, I am happy to say that my prediction was fulfilled, which is. There's a lot more on this album that isn't like the singles that people dislike on it, mm -hmm. which is always the case with Taylor Swift. You need to calm down and me sound so completely incongruous with this album. And when the album came out, it's like 18 tracks. I was like, is she the female Drake now? <laughs> like we're just dropping yeah, a bunch epics. of things on an album because we're in the streaming era now. And that will help albums get to number one. Right. Because if you're making a tight album like a red, like even 1989, you know, you're you're not including those two songs on it. Right. They don't mm -hmm. sound anything like the rest of the album. Well, I mean, I, to be honest with everyone, I have never, this is the first time I've ever listened to a Taylor Swift album mm -hmm. from tits to toes. Um, it, so I put on some Lululemons and I went to Whole Foods and I gave it the chance that it deserved. Right. I think I hear what you're saying. And those that was very single culture. Those two tracks that she released, which I have, I was inundated with. But 18 tracks is too long for this woman. Like it was really she. There were so many of the songs that just bled into each other in a way. And even as like someone who isn't a fan and thinks she writes nice songs, I just don't particularly like listening to her. I think she did herself a disservice because, you know, you had your standout tracks, the um, 
uh, track with the Dixie Chicks uh, that slowed down and kind of uh, changed the tone a bit. But it was the same, like, melodic hootenannies. Weirdly, the Dixie Chicks song is actually not one of my favorites on the album because it is, I feel like, it's not really fun. And I feel like what I love about the Dixie Chicks is they're usually more upbeat and, and also, giving you a bit more attitude. Well, the song and is about is just, cancer. Yes. But yes. they also just underutilize Natalie Maines, who is mm-hmm. here to belt. And in mm-hmm. this song, which is about, uh, I believe, Taylor Swift's mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Natalie Maines is murmuring on the song, mm-hmm. you know, and there's like the vague hint of strings in the background, too. So I'm just saying, if you're going to invoke Natalie Maines, who is basically here to be, you know, uh, uh, pink, but also with the power of the sheriff <laughs> in, in your local town, you need well, to give us that full yes, power. I mean, I'm all for, you know, the impetus behind the song, um, you know, and um, I think it's beautiful, but also the song just doesn't work for me. No, I you don't. Know? I mean, it's, I it doesn't give any. me like... Um, one song that's sort of about cancer, um, a pop song that I really love, um, and aside is Kylie Minogue's uh, Cosmic. Oh, right. Yes. Well, we... She wrote that after her battle with cancer, and that is a song that is melancholy, but it's also a pop song that delivers. Um, that This is an interesting side conversation that we will have for one moment. Kylie Minogue has a bunch of um, mid-tempo emotional dance songs that I think go very underrated. We're talking about the X album here, which yes. we've talked about before, but there's a song called um, Your Love Off Fever, yes. which I find very moving and also wintry and lovely. But anyway, love Affair. Love, is, love Affair yes. is wonderful. Well, and so speaking of that, that's what I really love about this album because I think that what Taylor does well is these airy, dreamy, sort of epic songs that feel like they're reaching like for the stars, you know, like they're reaching for some sort of feeling that's just off in the distance. And they feel a little bit melancholy, you know, it's sort of like you're watching a Godard film um, (laughs) mixed into a pop song. But it's the thing that really works for me, like previous songs be like, out of the woods, you know, yeah. like blank space, you know, like dancing with our hands tied. It almost sounded like, like you were describing Wildest Dreams a second ago. Yes, too. Wildest Dreams too, you know, and it's like, I feel like those songs, uh, Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince, beautiful song. Um, it's nice to have a friend. It's very Sufjan Stevens. I love that song too. Um, coming around on Lover. <laughs> um, but Cruel Summer is an example of a song that sounds like a banger, but it's also mid-tempo as a pop song. Right. I'm sorry. All these songs sound like the Spotify mood board for when you're crying in the rain. I don't, <laughs> there was, I hear, I, you are a fan and I, I, I appreciate that and I support that. But I, I want, I want production value. I want uh, writing. I want Temple to differentiate, differentiate, tell a story with your, with your album. Tell a story between your songs. She is a narrative writer and, None of this actually pulled me out. I listened to the album two times. I didn't recognize any of it. I'm actually. I'm between there. I'm between the two of you on this. My thing is when she talk when she sings romantic songs. For me, she is almost always singing from a perspective of picture a rom com having an emotional moment between the two people who are dating and they're kind of about to break up and we're at the point in the conversation where it stops and then she goes I think I should go that's always where Taylor Swift is when she sings a song it's always this kind of YA idea of she's always cultivating mystery around 
romance. And it also, it gets very unspecific to me. I feel like she's describing what romance sounds like in a movie more than she's describing something that actually happens to a 30-year-old person. Well, the interesting, that Guardian article that she most recently did, she was talking about how she can't process anything without the use of metaphor. What a take. But there is something to that in her songwriting of, I'm going to talk about the theatrical version of what it is to break up or what it is to be falling into a crush. But there isn't, I don't know, she doesn't know the real the real events that inspired the movie. It's always the lifetime version of it. It, to it just me. always feels, a, it, that always feels a little juvenile to me, talking yeah. about things in terms of like stories or like fairy tales or movies. It's just like, no, people are people. Like, let's demystify it as opposed to amping it up to some fake cinematic standard, which to me she has done several times throughout her career and she's already. successfully. I mean, yeah. well, here's the thing. This is why I think that uh, it's nice to have a friend. It's such a really good song um, because it seems to tie in with that Guardian article where she talked about the idea of when her friendship seemed to be falling apart, that's something that really sort of shook her and affected her. I had a lot of this problem with Reputation, too, because it was supposed to be her bad girl album, her breaking <laughs> from tradition, and I felt like a lot of it was playing at being a bad girl and not really getting into the specifics of how she feels. The interviews in this era have been very interesting because she's being very um, to the point and direct about how she feels about Scott Borchetta and like about Scooter Braun. Yeah, and for about, her, it's and more about, candid. Yes, and about how she for felt um, Kanye um, and Kim, you know, that. really sort of like abused her body, you know, in specifically the famous video. And hearing her talk about these things, they're missing from the music. You know, if if that sentiment had been in reputation, I think it would have gone over a lot better right. um, with a lot of people. Well, she speaks about like wanting to draw boundaries, you know, like that she acknowledges, especially we all read this uh, interview, which was very candid for her once again for her. Um, about the past couple years and needing to step away and how she's redefined. I think it was pretty candid. I mean, like it's no, it was still just taking a pose. I mean, that's the and she can and what she said is true. She can't win and she can't and she's gonna she's gonna be fucked either way if she's open or if she keeps quiet. And I empathize with it, but you know, it's unfair. But sorry, white lady, sometimes things aren't fair. I think uh, she. Dis, she does discuss the fact that she doesn't she wants to keep these boundaries and wants to keep her private life private while also her her brand for better or for worse is uh, these romanticized versions of things that she supposedly went right through. sort of teasing actual things that have happened between her and usually other famous people yeah. so it's, that's a particularly strange boundary for her I, in general I would compare her to Ellen DeGeneres in that <laughs> there is a part of a personality that people are clinging to and they find something hopeful and novel about. But really, there's a lot more guile there than revelation, mm -hmm. I feel like. I, the more I think about it, I'm like, there's, I'm not getting a full person. No, it's like The Rock, too. Yeah, you right. Know, yeah. A person who everyone loves. And no really we got knows. a slip of it when we were like, is he a Republican? Um, yeah. But no one really knew because we were sort of talking about would he run for president or something. It's that thing where it's a celebrity. It's um, this facade that's put up. And I feel like, interesting enough, um, her relationship with Joe Alwyn, you know, has been very 
private. By the way, whenever people say Joe Alwyn, I'm, I always immediately think Joan Allen. I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing if she were in a long-term relationship with Joan Allen? Mm, like, she's just dropping anecdotes from the set of Nixon on this new album. Anyway. Um, also, but that's interesting. Like, the, the revelation of actual personality is why I like the more upbeat tracks in this album. Like, the first track, I Forgot That You Existed. Now, that phrase doesn't really inspire me. It feels a little playground to me. But there's a line, the main line in the chorus, which is uh, something, something uh, I, I, it's not love, it's not hate, it's just indifference mm-hmm. or whatever. The way she says it, there's actual, there's humor in it. But she's still writing a song about it. I right. mean, this is, I think I, she has grown and you have to, I think I do have a, a sort of pettiness around her because we were born the same year. She named an album after it and it was all about the petty trials of inner female relationships. And I've never really respected that because there were other people her age dealing with real things. But she has I've definitely seen you in a ball gown um, tackling Kiki Palmer uh, I mean, outside of a fountain like you're in Dynasty. So. I mean, honestly, I am. I will be Dominic Devereaux to the day I die. Uh, <laughs> but it was so that has always really frustrated me. She is trying to be more open and be more open with her political stances and and know what to share and what not to share. But everything because of the nature of this business, of the nature of being a pop star, but for her specifically, and I don't know why, every nothing fits. Like, nothing personal that she shares out loud fits. That's how I felt about the VMA performance last night. She speaks about the fact that she was compelled to write this song because uh, a queer friend told her that there's n- no one publicly knows where you stand on um, gay and queer rights. And so she wrote so- something about about that, but it was not really about it. And all there was a verse about it. It's a verse about it, and all of the performances and all of the the art around it. It all feels hypersaturated in an, a completely ambivalent, indifferent way. Well, largely because corporate. The, yeah. Yes, it's corporate because largely because the whole "you need to calm down" sort of video, the whole aesthetic is. Here are some queer people in a video, and here is and me. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. And Ryan well, Reynolds. Please. Well, Ryan Reynolds is gay rights. You seen that body? <laughs> oh, um, God. God bless. So Ryan Reynolds can say faggot. His abs can't. <laughs> oh my God, he sure cannot. <laughs> His abs can say <laughs> faggot. Sure. Joan <laughs> Allen, though, yes. Um, there is the. I mean, he did get married on a plantation, so we have to remember that. Um, the time. I just, I just love him. I love Deadpool, uh, and I love Aviation Jen. Anyway, we we're, we're sorry. Uh, I'm talking about the fact that all of the queer people in the video are the perfect queer people, right? Like it's it's the YouTube stars, you know. It's like it's Laverne Cox, uh, you know. It's, Rippon, it's yes, you know. It's, it's, it's this, you know, and it's feels like a corporate version of a Pride song, right? It yeah. feels like this is Pride Nike doing, yes, like this is Nike, this is Bank of America. It feels very corporate. Sampling, sampling liberally from every Twitter meme, mm-hmm. you know, just yes. like the, all the lyrics, which we've talked about in previous yes, episodes. Yes, but I would argue that the reason a lot of this continues to come up for Taylor is because when other artists do something like that, it's just sort of there. You know, uh, no one's dragging. I mean, Gaga got dragged similarly during the Born This Way era. Right. You know, it felt very calculated. But since then, we've gotten that she cares. Right. You know, and Mm -hmm. I feel like other artists don't face these criticisms because it doesn't seem like it's specifically 
calculate it to sell something. Right. And I think like she speaks to this a little bit about, you know, feeling depressed and feeling like she could, she says she felt voiceless around the election in 2016, which is really wild for a white woman who's been privileged her entire life to think that she her voice didn't have power, which is very frustrating. But for this to be her like I'm saying something is it after the fact that no, she's going to be safe because the world's burning? Is it because the metrics make sense? Uh, the can... one thing I found very a, a little that rang false was her comparing her decision to not coming out in 2016 was with the Dixie Chicks and sort of what had happened with mm-hmm. them. And it's just this it's a thing that on surface makes sense. But when you really dig beneath it, there's no correlation between her and the Dixie Chicks. Um, in her in 2016, the Dixie Chicks. This was Bush Bush era. They were specifically country music. Their fans were not young millennials and Gen Zers who were politically active in the way that they are in 2016. So, mm-hmm. on service, you can be like, yeah, I thought that you know, like this backlash. The Dixie Chicks had to deal with all of this, but I really never saw that happening. Right. Natalie Maines is just naturally a loudmouth. You know what I mean? Like that's part of her personality, like popping off as part of what and you sense that vibe within Dixie Chick's songs, too. Whereas Taylor Swift, again, has always been sort of um, uh, careful and controlled. So just spiritually, they are not related, especially when in 2016 you saw people as equally famous and powerful as Taylor speaking out and not having any of those consequences happen. None of their power, none of their access, none of their money really threatened. And it's, I, and this happens a lot and people, she's especially likes to position herself as like, well, I was young. I was young and I'm trying to grow and whatever. You weren't. The rest of us were voting. You know, we were lucky to have before that been able to vote for Obama twice. Like Mm -hmm. that, that is a luxury that a lot of generations before us and after us will not have. But you you had an enormous amount of agency. And I wish you, you would step into that. If you're saying that you never knew that you needed to learn about your privilege, that you grew up so privileged that you didn't know you were privileged, which is what a oh, buddy. And I think you have to really own that whole narrative. Don't just don't just pick at what really fits what you're doing right now or just be quiet and live with that London boy in shortage. Oh my God, which we'll get to in a second. But you just touched on something that wasn't in that interview, which is I wish she had talked more about what it was like seeing her contemporaries basically all speak out. Mm -hmm. Like, again, if Adele finds it space, finds it safe to speak out and she is talking to minivan culture, then where were you? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, But anyway, yes, there's a song in this album called London Boy, which is just the most Live journal study abroad of London ever. Let's talk about the first line of the song. I think it's tongue in cheek. No, it's not. Do you think it is? No, it's not. Mm. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, It's tongue in cheek (laughs) as a fan. Largely, I feel like Taylor Swift is not in on the joke. Um, But if you find this song funny... In sort of so a you're goofy way. So you're ironically liking it? I, I, yes. I'm ironically so loving hedging. this song. Uh, I think it's funny to listen to. And I think it's 
a bot. Let's talk um, about the first line lyric-wise. in terms of uh, uh, potential irony. I love my hometown, just like Motown or Thank whatever that is. You. <laughs> Excuse me. Those so sorry, sorry. You're really uh, fucking with uh, just Barry Gordy's yeah. empire. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> Um, I, what is, is going on in that line? No, what's amazing too is that the I was looking at the lyrics. I really had to break this one down. I fancy and you. No, don't stop. Don't stop yet. Um, the fact that like Genius didn't know that she was saying shortage, and I like they wrote shortage like there is a wheat shortage. Uh-huh. It's <laughs> I want the I want the data on just like moms planning trips to shortage. Like this is so. so Stupid! It is a horrible song. It is like you just can't name tube stop sops and make it a bop. I just, oh my god. I mean, I find it fun in the same way that I find Fergie's um, London, hand, London, one London. hand, like a London London Bridge fun, even though that's a better song. Um, and her one-handed flips on that morning show, like it's, it's just it's, kooky. It's, and- it's kooky and fun. Uh, I will say that I don't think that she's. In on the joke, um, so because I would say that if, <laughs> I would say that I often find that Taylor isn't in on the joke because if she were in on the joke, she wouldn't have cut uh, that really goofy line from me for right. the album. The "Hey kids, spelling is fun." Like people mocked her for it when the song originally came out, and then it got removed for the album, which means that she never intended it to be goofy and funny and like knew what she was doing with it. Yeah. Um, It's a tweet she has since deleted. Yes. Yes. Um, Also, I will say something on this album that disturbs me a little bit, or I don't know about disturbs, but I question is the amount of times she calls somebody darling, like it's 1940 and she's Tallulah (laughs) Bankhead. Like, where did you you pick up that word? You did see the Wildest Dreams video. It seems like she is constantly wanting to be a 1940s movie star. Guys, no, this is her first step towards Madonna, like mid-Guy Ritchie accent shit. She's just been in London three years, and that lovely man who played Robert Dudley in Mary Queen of Stots and be like, darling, you want to go get some like steak and egg or whatever? Like, that's what that is. It's <laughs> nothing really to it. I doubt she really knows anything that happened before 2004. That's true. Um, but also, I will add that this uh, tracks I really do like uh, a shoe, the melodrama of the relationships, which I feel like we have done in past eras on Red in 1989, etc., mm. I like that song Paper Rings mm. because it's like Rockabilly the Veronica's, which is kind of a good lane for her. Yeah. I wish she would do more of that. And like the lyrics are funny. Again, I think she's always funnier than she lets on. It's sort of like how Adele is very funny, and then her lyrics aren't funny. Bothers yeah. me. Well, Paper Rings is a lot like um, <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. Correct. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that, I mean, you know, like I love, you know, like classic film melodrama and you know like I love soap opera so it's like I am always sort of going to be drawn towards the goofy melodramatic over the top songs I think you guys give her a lot of credit I don't think she's that kooky I think she's no I agree with you I her, agree with you I don't mean very, kooky but it's well, just no, like you were like it's kooky like when Fergie does flips and sings jazz I mean I said London boy specifically or, I didn't call her entire aesthetic kooky I don't know you I know she's not Helena Bottom Carter no but there are <laughs> no she is not Helena Bottom don't you <laughs> God bless uh, the HBC um, no she I think I honestly think a lot of people give her too much credit. I think she is writing 
Unfortunately, I have sincerely. famously no. never given this woman any credit. Oh my god, to be this honest. has been a narrative uh, journey. I think, <laughs> I think when people give her credit as a lyricist, it's sort of like people who are again obsessed with wait for it horoscopes, where they are obsessed <laughs> with finding themselves in basic things that it could that could apply to anyone. So I'm always unimpressed with her on a level. Again, I'm let's compare her to this is just the first person who's coming to mind, Casey Musgraves, mm-hmm. who I think with almost without even trying always has a point of view. You know it's coming from her. I'm thinking of a song she uh, wrote once called Keep It To Yourself, which is about telling somebody if if you still have a crush on me or whatever, don't bring that to me. Like, throw it away. I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. That to me comes from a place of sincerity. And because of that, there's a natural cleverness about the topic at hand. I always feel like because I can't locate what Taylor is often talking about when she's talking about yeah. romance, that it doesn't get to a place of cleverness ever, which mm. is what you need, I think, to, like to get to a Joni Mitchell place, to get to, you, you know, to to uh, uh, say something specific about a situation to be a successful singer songwriter. I don't know. I mean, I've never particularly related to a Taylor Swift romance song. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't ever think that that's what they're for. Uh, I've, but I've also never related to Magnificent Obsession. Sure. You know, I think that it is there as an image. I think that it is there as an idea. And I think that sometimes you can just sort of enjoy that and let it wash over you. I mean, I've always just enjoyed them as pop songs that are sometimes good. Sometimes the lyrics are, eh, what are we doing here? You know, and... I think that on this album, it altogether sort of works for me. And now that she's shifted away largely from much of the white victimhood that, you know, permeated much of her early career, it's easier to swallow it down. Got it. Well, we'll see how far she goes out of that white victimhood and how long it lasts. By the way, Magnificent Obsession, nice reference, is a movie, uh, a Douglas Sirk movie about a woman uh, who goes through it and is blind for one scene. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy. Yes. That's amazing. Jane Wyman, yeah. That's amazing. And Rock Hudson. Right. A man. Can you name his one Oscar nomination? Rock Hudson can say faggot because he was one. That's true. <laughs> what was he nominated for? Anybody? Riri? No, Ira? Ma'am. Uh, I don't know. Was it Pillow Talk? Nope. Giant. Anyway. Mm, all right. You love quizzing us. Yes. You got us again, guys. <laughs> Not all of us can memorize things that computer wore tennis shoes. <laughs> We're back. We're joined by Robin Thede. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, 
Loungewear and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. We are here with Robin Thede, Robin Thede. who I've yes, just discovered. <laughs> I have just discovered our birthdays are right next to each other. Yes, Leo friends. in the studio. <laughs> Leo season is still here. It's still, it, it never goes anywhere. Here. It's gone. Thank Sorry, Virgo. You. It's always in our heart. You know, my theory is that Leos are the only ones with actual discernible personalities, but then I realized that's such a Leo thing to think. Yeah. That's <laughs> are true. you coming around on astrology, no, Lewis? I will never come around on astrology. <laughs> As a Gemini, all y'all need to come. <laughs> in two minutes, you'll change your mind. I will. <laughs> Kill it. Uh, Robin, let's just get into this. You are. One of the geniuses behind a black lady sketch show. Thanks. So it is wonderful. on HBO. Yeah. It's not TV. It's, it's HBO. HBO. <laughs> I love saying that just because it's not really TV anymore. It's streaming. It's true. Um, how did this come about? Um, well, like you said, I'm a genius. So there's that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I was doing a late night show called The Rundown with Robin Thede. And Which let, was great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, and it got canceled. And my friend Issa Rae, ever heard of her, um, called me. <laughs> <laughs> called me. And I thought she was calling to give her condolences. Like, oh, I'm so sorry your show got canceled. She wasn't. Um, she was calling to say, okay, well, no rest. What do we What do we want to do together? Because we had been talking about working together for years. 
years. And I said, you know, I actually have this sketch show I really want to do. And I've been kind of soft pitching it. Now that I'm free, she was like, well, bring it to HBO. Come to it with me. Partner with me. And, um, you know, there were several places that were interested. But but with Issa and with HBO, it just made the most sense. Mm -hmm. That sounds so Issa, by the way. It's very uh, easy. With 11 jobs. Being like, like, let's keep going. At home. She gets that deadline announcement. Right. Oh, they canceled the rundown. <laughs> Bitch. Be, be, be. Right. So. <laughs> right. Let's what get are we to doing? work. Yeah. <laughs> but also this must be so empowering. I mean, I think if people think of Hollywood as sort of like a lonely place where it's you and your idea and you have to fight for it. Actually, what I mean, in this case, somebody called you like, let's figure it out. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And I mean, that's happened to me a lot in my career. I've been very lucky to work with John Stewart and Larry Wilmore and Chris Rock, executive produced my late night show. And Issa joined me as an executive producer on this project. And, you know, I, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, no, it's fine. I'll do it on my own. It's like, I believe in the power of teaming up and yeah. in this industry. You're right. It's like there's no reason to do it alone when there's great people who want to work with you. So yeah. well, and then what was the impetus for this is a black lady sketch show? This yeah. is we're working with black writers, black yeah. actresses. By the way, before we even get into this, because I'm very curious about this, I want to say the acting on this show is yeah, so good. Thank you. Specifically, for, like for a sketch show, you think, oh, it'll be like kind of you know acting in this for the sake of getting like a big gag laugh or whatever but truly I'm like invested in the characters in these <laughs> sketches. Oh that means the most to me as a writer that means the most to me um, and as a performer. I forgot I'm on the show too. You're on it all the time. Uh, <laughs> all the time. All the time. Yes, you, you act well. Yes. <laughs> you in the sketch of you as the co-worker not wearing makeup oh, maybe yeah. kill me. Oh I don't want to kill you but hopefully to get away. Um, that was fun. That was fun. And, and the fun thing was I didn't have to get into makeup for that. That's how my sketch looks. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing for me about making a black lady sketch show is I was when I was initially pitching the idea, I kept calling it the black lady sketch show. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and then when we came around to getting a real title for the show, we just switched it to a so it could be one of many. And so mm -hmm. it wasn't the only because we certainly can't represent all black women. But, mm -hmm. you know, we'll try to represent a variety. Um so that was really just the thing. I mean, I've been performing sketch for the better part of two decades. And so a lot of the groups that I perform with were black women. Um, we're all black women. I was lucky enough to to have a lot of those different sorts of groups, including 227, the Lost Episodes, Fuck which yeah. I used mm. to do for two years. I didn't just get that Jack K impression out of nowhere. <laughs> um, Jack K is literally right over your shoulder I know, right now. Yes. I know. I, um, oh, is she serious? Yeah, yeah she's she on Amazing, amazing. Our you guys do icon. it right. She's an icon. Um, and so, you know, it's stuff like that that I got to do and, and bring together. This is like actually the sixth or seventh sketch show I've acted on, mm -hmm. uh, but the first one I created. And so uh, I knew I had brought kind of all the things with me over the past bunch of years that I've been wanting to do. What was your experience growing up watching sketch comedy? Like, what did you care about? Was it something yeah. that was always embedded in you? You were like, that is definitely for me, yeah. et cetera. All from a little child. Yeah. My um, first experience with seeing anyone do characters was Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, sure. And I think they were showing her one woman show that she did um, in late 70s, I think it was, on, on PBS. Yeah, directed so, by Mike Nichols. Yeah. Yes, mm. yes. And so I was watching that on TV and like, what is this? I had never seen a black woman doing characters and being being funny like this. And then um, In Living Color really cemented it for me because yeah. um, that was like a pivotal moment in my, you know, 
early adolescence. And yeah. so it was like, okay, you can actually do this for a living. And I had watched SNL for many, many years. My dad let me stay up through Weekend Update because that was mm-hmm. midnight. <laughs> and um, he named me after Robin Williams. I was always like destined to be in comedy, I think. But mm-hmm. um, In Living Color really cemented it for me. Yeah, sure. I feel like yeah. I discovered SNL through like white classmates at school and because like a celebrity I liked was on it. Like, oh, here's Britney hosting this week or mm-hmm. something. But it was really growing up watching things like In Living Color. And it's just so fun seeing your show because you forget that non-white people can do sketch because we don't I see know. it. We don't see it. You right. know? It's so few and far between like the Chappelle show or something like that. And yeah. when you do look at SNL, it's always what, like a white person playing a different race? And it's like, no, we're here. We can do that too. <laughs> yeah, and SNL has a bunch of black people on it right now. Like yes. I won't even front. There's a lot of black people. A lot of my friends are on that show mm-hmm. right now. Um, I just think SNL is always going to be SNL. Mm-hmm. And they always have to do network type comedy. And, mm-hmm. and they push the boundaries as much as they can. But I just wanted to do something different. And it's like no shade to SNL or anybody else, but it's like I knew what we could do. And I knew what we could do as a force. Mm -hmm. And I knew these women were going to be such great actors. And I knew the guest stars that we could get because there was already so much interest just based on the concept. I mean, hello. She's amazing. Oh, Oh my God. I loved the framing that 227 was just Marla Gibbs inceptioning herself. That was really... (laughs) I'm glad people got it because when I pitched it in the room... (laughs) <laughs> the whole room often when I pitch things they look at me like I'm crazy um, well it's so amazing too that you like are making references for different generations of people who yeah. love comedy yeah because it is that HBO giving you the freedom of that? Is that just the composition of your, when we have to mention all black female room, Yeah, uh, bringing those, bringing it to kids who might not know who are stealing their parents' streaming account passwords? Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. You know, um, HBO definitely gave us the freedom to do whatever we wanted. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then on top of that, our room is very different. Everybody has different you know, ideas about things. But I also came in with a ton of ideas. You know, I've been waiting to do this show for a really long time. And But I mean, I always have sketch ideas, you know, and, and I incorporated those into my late night shows. And, you know, so it's, it's always been something I do. So it's kind of just my second nature in writing. Um, so like, you know, I had the idea for the Roman Jalissa sketch, but I also wrote the 227 sketch, but I also did, you know, um, the Chris character and the Chris and Lachelle character. So, but then we have different writers. You know, one of them, Ray, Sonny and, yeah, and she's we have, been a guest co-host yeah, on the show. She's amazing. Um, uh, Brittany Nichols, Akila Green, Holly Walker, mm-hmm. uh, Ashley Nicole Black, who's also on the show. Uh, her, Quinta, I used to work with at BuzzFeed. Quinta's amazing. I wish she was a writer on the show. She's not a writer on the oh. show. She's way too busy. Um, <laughs> she's like, I'll just show up. She'll just I'll show up and be amazing. <laughs> and amazing kill it. work. Amazing. Um, work. As do everyone in the cast. But as does everyone in the cast, I'm not good with verbs. So <laughs> the point is, yes, I mean, I wanted to bring uh, the 227 thing I always thought was a stretch. I was like, there's no way people are going to get this, but I don't care because HBO gave me a show and <laughs> I'm going to do it. And I wanted to like give them their flowers now. We already yeah. lost, you know, Elena Reed and uh, Helen Martin. So it was like, while we could assemble the original cast now mm-hmm. and really pay homage. And then the other thing was, I was worried that people would think we were like dragging them in some sort of way because people do weird things on the internet. Yeah. Like right. they just take safe. things and go, oh, that's that's disrespectful. How you going to have them sleeping? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> How dare Jack A sleep? Yeah. She don't sleep. So, but it but it worked out great, and everybody got what we were doing, and they loved it. And do you have a favorite uh, guest? The, I mean, the guest star situation in the show is so wild. unreal and specific. <laughs> can, can you have a you have a favorite arc of 
uh, either writing a sketch that you didn't think would involve uh, a giant guest star or oh, writing something yeah. specifically for someone? Oh, that's such a good question that no one has asked me yet. And I appreciate that. So, yes, we so we did not write sketches with anyone in mind except for Patti LaBelle. Because that Patty. sketch could not be done without her. Oh, so um, <laughs> and Angela Bassett was just like our hope. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know how you write think Angela Bassett, you know, mm-hmm. like in the sketch for Bad Bitch Support Group. So it was like uh, an apologies to anyone who's listening who has no idea what we're talking about. But you should watch the show. Um, but uh, yeah, so for us, it just get apologize to the white get- people. <laughs> Watch the show. Watch Y'all the got show. HBO Go. White go people ahead. love the show. It's on the same network as Succession, guys. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I am Succession Hive, by the way. I know oh, you are. You. I haven't caught are. up. Succession I need to catch up. is that girl. Okay. You okay. love messy Listen, scammers, I'm down. baby. That's all. <laughs> I love a good scammer. Long story short, uh, we were shocked by people like Lena Waithe, who was literally like, I have no time, but I'm going to show up and jump at a sketch. And so I was like, well, then we will make it work. You know, mm-hmm. like for us. And, it, and we didn't. My big thing was, like, I only thought we were going to get, like, six guest stars. Like, I was like, if we get one big one per episode, if we get Patty for episode, blah, then we're good. Mm-hmm. If we get Angela for this one, then we're good. We only have to get four more. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we got, like, 50? Yeah. <laughs> um, like, no exaggeration. We have over 50 in six episodes. And the thing I really, though, was important to me, because there were a lot of people who we couldn't fit in, and hopefully we'll be able to um, later, God willing, called right to HBO. Um, but... Uh, I didn't want to take people out of sketches with cameos. You know, it was really important to me that people showed up intrinsic to the sketch Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. that it made sense when they were there. And I think the way we did that, the best way we did that was to only have them have a few lines sometimes. So it's more impactful when you see them. And and then it really focuses on the core four and it still feels like the show hasn't gotten away from us. And it's not just like one cameo after the other. What was your... uh metric because you guys shot has shot this earlier in the year. Yeah, you turned around in a year, which is amazing at HBO. In less than eight less weeks. Than, that's bananas. Yeah, it's but crazy. But you, you're dealing with sketches that some are evergreen, but some are really topical. Like, you know yeah. you know that uh, Cardi and Nikki fan will never be. Right. Will never t- the Twix shall meet. So, you know, that'll <laughs> be fine. But was there a decision, like, we want to speak to things that feel more universal to the voices of the people in our room? Or do we want to try to go for more I mean, black females, everything we do is political, but like go yeah. for things more specific. Uh, more political or Polit- more? I guess uh, more time sensitive, I guess. Oh, well, we can't because yeah. we're not on the week that we shoot. Yeah. It. So, you know, SNL has that benefit, but we don't have yeah. that. So even in eight months, stuff's going to get real stale. Yeah. So for us, it was just about um, things that we knew would still be in the zeitgeist. But there were a couple of things right before we started shooting that I was like, I don't feel good about doing that sketch. Mm-hmm. Just because I was like, I don't know where that person's going to be. It didn't like one of them involved a very specific celebrity kind of related to politics. And this show is oddly compared to what I've been doing the last five years. <laughs> apolitical. Yeah. Um, but it's political, the act of us just being there. Which was is it my girl weird. Omarosa? No. <laughs> no, no. I don't want Condi to. Rice? Yeah, no, no. Like, I don't want to engage anyone who would relish in the attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not what this platform is for. Mm-hmm. That's this, healthy. Yeah, this platform is to celebrate black women who I love and who, mm-hmm. you know, are here to take part in that goal. I'm not trying to have those people. I mean, it's my (laughs) political opinion that black men and women will survive the end of the world. So, right? It's not a stretch. It's not a stretch. I would have an interesting um, thing you said, by the way, you know, the idea of wanting people involved in the show who um, are going to participate, you know, and really sort of 
be there for that spirit. Yeah, you, you have know? to be here it's, for us the way we're there for you. Yeah, you know? it would be disingenuous of me to talk shit about Omarosa for mm. so many years in late night and then invite her on my schedule. <laughs> right, yeah. and that's the thing where it's, um, you know, when we talk about like the confines of like an SNL having to do a network or something, you know, yeah. right? Like when Trump or something's on that was oh on the show, God. it's like you spend so many time dragging and being against this person, yeah. but then now you have them on the show and yeah, you have to work shine. with him. I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I would never do that. Also, I mean, we have six episodes. It's like, I don't have time to waste. <laughs> that kind of time. Also, those people aren't funny to me and I don't think they're good actors. And the good the thing getting back to the acting is like even people who came in for one or two lines or whatever, they still had to nail it. Mm-hmm. And they felt pressure. I mean, Kelly Rowland was like, did I do good? I was like, you're amazing. What do you like, mean? Yeah, Kelly. She yeah. was amazing in Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> Why was she afraid? <laughs> well, you want to talk about drama? Let's talk about the video for Stole. Sorry, I'll go there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, excuse me. It's always girl. She was really in it. She True. was going through it. <laughs> oh, girl, right. Yes. I'm a Kelly Rowland stan. She's like the, the nicest person. Ooh. Yeah, I love her. And can yeah. dance. Yes, quite. Yeah. She can do everything. She told me she really liked my nose when I interviewed her once. You have a good nose. Thank you. Very good. What I, a specific thing I, to say. I wrote, to bring that I up. That. <laughs> it was I, appropriate. Yes. It wasn't I, out of the blue. I had it in my Tinder profile for a bit. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm a Leo, and that's what we do. Hey! Uh, <laughs> Robin, who just in general are you standing right now? Like, what are you watching that you care about, that you can't stop watching? It's Normani, all day. Yep, mm-hmm. heard of her. Um, she's unbelievable. I'm so excited for her because she's been in this business, like, a minute. And yeah. she's just now getting her real. And she's just, like, ready. I love people who kind of came up through you know, a group or whatever, and then have this breakout moment and you're like, why was I not like on this train before? But it's her time. I love her. I love Simone Biles. Anyone who flips, basically, I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, who knew she was a gymnast? Um, I mean, I did, but um, because I've been because she's like she was she always even in the group she always like caught mm-hmm. my eye. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not just because she was the black one, but like, but, I mean, like, but still, she the was internet knew special. that she could like yeah. deliver a dance. Totally. Like I remember, uh, I saw. Um, Fifth Harmony once uh, in like Irvine. Yeah. Um, I saw them at Madison Square Garden randomly. Not on purpose. It was an accident. But she was always so good. And it's so different from a, she's been in the industry for a minute. Yeah. But it's so different from like a Destiny's Child situation, right? Whereas like it was just the three of them. Even when we all knew like Beyonce, the star of Destiny's Child. Right. Like Kelly was still in the forefront. Like we still knew Michelle. And it's the problem with like Fifth Harmony, it was really just sort of like, we are like, who are these girls? Yeah, right. They're just a group. Right. And so well, Normani. The, the bow and then yeah. the black one. <laughs> Her coming out um, now is very different from. It is very different because it was, I think it feels a little uh, less expected. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Um, so I'm standing her. Simone Biles. Um, oh, always. Um, always. But she's just like, you know, just casually breaking world records mm-hmm. um, every other day. <laughs> and I just think she doesn't get enough shine, mm-hmm. like at all. She also is, is that weird quality of making something impossible look effortless. Yes. Just like what, whatever she just did recently, like the, the dismount that had never been done off the balance beam yeah. where it was like three flips and or something. Double, tri- and the triple double, double yeah. on yeah. the floor. No, she just is like, I'm going to continue to be unprecedented, but I also am jovial about it. Well, <laughs> you know, and, She well, doesn't look like she like is setting out to like, you know, uh, to stun and kill. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. And like, yet yeah, she's still doing, she's still talking about this documentary that they did about yeah. that stupid trainer mm-hmm. and like and still like advocating. Yeah, it's still advocating for all these athletes and like doing all this at the same time. I just stand. Somebody's so young. I get that because every time something pops up new about Simone doing something, I'm always like, 
I wish she were in the zeitgeist more. I know. And she is like the but she's about a lot her of business. Life, like, but... I think that's also sure. amazing that like she is an example of someone who's like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to advocate for my friends and I'm yeah. going to do it well. Yeah. Um, and also I've defied gravity. I am Adina Menzel, which I right. think is amazing. <laughs> you forget great. it's maybe I stand a wicked reference <laughs> all day. Uh, you for, I guess you forget that like they're always doing gymnastics. It's yeah. Not yeah. Like, it's, not like, it's not like Adam Riffin. It's it was like, oh, we did the Olympics, but like the next Olympics is four years from now. No, so they're always here I am on TV. Here I am in a, a Taylor Swift video serving ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He yeah. was in that video. Him and Ryan Reynolds. So more about Simone and Armani. <laughs> um, who else? Who else am I standing? Hmm. Those are two pretty good elite everyone, answers. Everyone in my show, I really, and this is not just to shamelessly promote the show, I think they're all fantastic. I'm so excited that the world is seeing them. Gabrielle Dennis, Ashley Nicole Black, Quinta Brunson, in this new way mm-hmm. for yeah. those who knew them before, and then in a brand new way for people who didn't. Um, so I'm just, I'm excited. Yeah, it's a really, it's a, I mean, it's so great to watch. I, all we had was, all I had was Maya Rudolph. So it's really, <laughs> yeah, so it's very it soothes my hungover spirit when I'm watching it uh, over the weekends because I think about my little sister's 10 years younger than me. And so even that amount. She'll of, know that. She'll know. She'll she, know that this existed. It's like kids who it. only knew Obama as president. Mm-hmm. Oh. Kids will only know a black lady sketch show. Wow. We that was only. a big leap, Robin. <laughs> All other history will be. Kids who only lived in peacetime will also only know. Let's get, let's get Michelle it's on the show. because my allergies are. I, now I have. Like, I didn't mean to like send them at you. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, whatever, it's fine. Who cares? Uh, you have the other snot on this mic, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah. her tap. Yes, is, I've heard of her. A beautiful character. Thank you, Dr. Hadassah Olienka Ali Youngman, pre PhD. <laughs> uh, how has it been not just playing that character, but like seeing like reaction to her? I forgot one of our writers. I think Ray reminded me that I created that character and I don't remember. Um, <laughs> it. I sometimes in the room, you know, I would just go, what if this happened? (laughs) And then other times I would have fully formed ideas. Um, Yeah, that the reaction to her has been crazy. But I get it because I know her. And that's Mm -hmm. how she came about is that we were all like, oh, my God, we all know this character. Like, Mm -hmm. well, we were talking about hoteps, I think. And then since it's a black lady sketch, I was like, well, what if there's just like a lady hotep? You're like a hotep. And everybody was like, "Ah, that should be a thing. Mm -hmm. And so. um, she's fun. I knew a lot of people growing up and in school and when I was in Chicago who were that lady. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's just a blast because I get to say literally anything mm-hmm. I want as the truth and make it sound like it's real, which mm-hmm. is super fun. I mean, so I'm I am obsessed with the fact that you are in an all black female writers room because that is a it's coconut mecca. oil wrap yeah. unicorn. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned once uh, like how that t- level of comfort you like yeah. getting to take your track out when you come oh, back to yeah. the event. Oh yeah, took a whole weave out like, at the table and shook it at at Aquila Green at the, one of our writers. The freedom, <laughs> size of point. Mm. The the, I love the joy yeah. of that. But do you, I mean, it had to have opened your your creativity up in a new type of way. Like, how were you thinking about sketch differently? Was it or was it just oh, you all were on the top of your game and that was just it? That's a or? great question. So when I when I came in, um, the first two weeks were really difficult for the room because I obviously had this on my heart 
for years, right? And I knew how I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. But um, when we came into the room, um, obviously none of us had ever written in an all-black woman sketch room, uh, writing room before because I don't, I'm sure it's existed somewhere, but I don't know that it hasn't. It definitely hasn't in sketch. Mm-hmm. So um, Wings was famous. Wings, <laughs> Wings was famous in all-black women. Right. <laughs> right. I, I, I love Wings. With wings. I, <laughs> I fuck with Wings. I'm sorry. That is, just, that is the secret, by the way. All of those shows, like the 90s sitcoms and yeah. things like black people fucked with them. We could have been sure writing did. them. Yeah. We sure did. Crystal Bernard, please come here. Yeah. Yeah. No, we sure to the day I die. So, so the first day we got there and they start pitching sketches and there's all these white people in their pitches. And I was like, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I, they were like, what? And I was like, no, because the thing is, whenever a white person enters a sketch with black women, it recenters the sketch. That comes about mm-hmm. them. And yeah. And it's, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but what, it's also not a great thing in the context of what I was trying to create. And so for me, it was like, well, okay, so if we're in a workplace environment and a black woman is saying X, Y, Z, and then a white woman responds to it, what does that look like? And it, and every time we found it changed the intention of the sketch. Mm-hmm. And I am not here to make, I here's, this is going to sound weird, but hopefully you'll get it. I don't like when white people often appear in mostly black or all black projects mm-hmm. because they always appear as a really gross stereotype. And not that I'm here to fight for white people and their stereotypes. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, they, can do, they can do for, their own work. Justice for Jenna Von Oy. Julie Bowen and Jumping the Broom. Yes, <laughs> yes. Kate Walsh and Girls Trip. That's right. And so that always takes me out of it. Mm-hmm. And it can be funny in other contexts. I'm just saying for my context and this show, I didn't I wanted the comedy to be so authentically from our point of view. Um, And by our I'm saying the women in the room, I'm not saying every black woman, but Mm -hmm. um, um, that was really important to me. So I think in the in the room in that way, we were able to go, oh, we don't have to write like we're writing on a show for white people. Mm -hmm. We can really write on a show that is for black women, black women specifically. And everyone else is invited to watch and enjoy and learn and, you know, laugh. But but it was a very singular point of view. And you guys have done an amazing job at, like, prioritizing the black gays within, on screen, because that's... Black gays exist. It exists. That's a thing. And... <laughs> It's a, it's I don't know why we act like they don't. <laughs> exactly, and that's it. But we the also don't portray black gay people as anything other than just regular people. That was mm. really important. Oh, to I me. was saying gays, yeah. but also homosexuality. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you said gays. No. G a y s. Yes, but also having queer stories as if as though they exist in the world. What is the like, black gays? G a z e. How would you define? I think it's I think it's having what you were just saying of like not having what how we live be reacted to mm. white folk. Mm. I think it's more of like, okay, so you're at this wedding and your hood cousin can't say yes. Yeah. That is, you're sitting in that audience. That's us being right. like, yeah, I'm glad I got I've never heard that college. phrase. I've only heard white gays. Well, but, or even it's uh, interesting. I didn't know we had a gaze. Nobody told us. I love it. Right. <laughs> it's a transformation of what, you know, like the male gaze, you know, it's like when yeah. you finally get women making something, uh, it's less like, Oh, leering at this woman's breast. A lingering and like, the lights, you know, can, it's like yeah. these are just how we're interacting. And I yeah. feel like the black gaze is very nice because so often when we're making art, uh, we have to think about how white people are going to respond. Yes. To it, you know? Yes. Um, and also, the camera finds different things mm-hmm. if you're, if there are black people behind the camera. Yes. Um, it, it's, and you guys have done it so wonderfully. It's like the, uh, like Quinta opening up her suitcase versus Ashley opening her suitcase. Very different. Very, very different. Yeah. And it, it, 
wouldn't have hit or the composition of that wouldn't have hit if there weren't not even, lovely black folk behind Yeah, them. even the sound design. Like yeah. in Babbage Support Group, the sound of the nails. Like we really amped that up. Like, yeah, just like there's just like little tiny things that... I knew um, black people were yeah. behind the show when I heard Hot Girl as the opening <laughs> credits. Okay. Like, the Stallion is here. We were so excited to that. Thank you, Megan the Stallion. Thank yeah. you. That opening, uh, those puppets bring me such joy because I just want to be bopping down we the need, street. We need her on the show. My puppet? No. Megan? Megan. No, your puppet. A puppet of Megan? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, can you imagine a puppet with Megan's ass? That'd just be amazing. <laughs> just a pillow. Um, uh, Miss Piggy would die. Oh, she my God. Never. She could never. Miss Piggy could never. And I stand Miss Piggy, but she could never. <laughs> Prairie Dawn, goodbye. Oh, uh. my God. I know. We love Megan. I'm so excited that she um, agreed to do it. She hopped on that real quick. So yeah. it's awesome. We well, got lucky. Yes. Um, she knows what's it. Thank you so much for being here. Dwayne! <laughs> <laughs> I know, we could spend all day with you. Uh, you are we're, one we're, of the sickest guests. You're yes. so fabulous. Uh, what? And, Don't say that. I'll yeah. say forever. No. Can we and, talk more about the black gays, though? Yes. Like that... <laughs> In, we're inventing terms today. Welcome to my AFAM women's No, no, no. Class. Now I'm off of the Z and back onto the YS. Oh, my God. That... I was like, they're here. They're important. Yeah, yeah. No, that club scene was... Girl, that was the truth. <laughs> the club scene, the ball, it was I great. Know. Basic, yeah. ball, Basic ball, honey. Basic yeah. ball. Bob the drag queen, shout out Caldwell. <laughs> Bob is just around, just ready Bob to go. Bob is amazing. Bob, I almost feel now, is an underrated winner of RuPaul's Drag Race. But at the 100%. time he at the time he really dominated that season. Mm-hmm. And his comedy, I, I find just very pungent and hilar- hilarious. He's so good. He improvised a lot of that stuff. Ashley Nicole Black wrote that sketch. I just want to give a shout out credit. Uh, she wrote amazing jokes and then he said Eeyore and Dior and I quit my own show for like five minutes. I was like, I'm out. I'm out. I quit. I can't do this. <laughs> so good. So good. All right. Well, th- hey guys, so listen, thanks for being here today. Um, you're just so Robin Thede's keep it. <laughs> like Tyler Perry. I'm just going to put my name on every, everybody's podcast. Girl, do it. Brand it up. <laughs> do it up. Thank you guys. Yeah. I love thanks you guys so much. I love you too. Thank you. <laughs> Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hulu. 
Dancing with the Stars, a show which, if you'll remember, Normani did not win, so I question any of its validity. Wow, what an underrated fact about that show. Yes. That's really crazy. It's back. <laughs> and last week, they announced that Sean Spicer would be joining the cast, and while most of America was up in arms about it, do you know who was not? Who? Karamo Brown. Mm. Who is also a cast member on Dancing with the Stars this Yes, because he's on the show this season. Uh, Queer Eyes Karamo. Uh, Keep it's Karamo. Keep it's Karamo. <laughs> Guys, re-listen to that interview. It is wild. So let's get into this. Karamo at first defended Sean Spicer being on the show um, by saying that it would be an opportunity to sit down and have, quote, respectful conversations because... As we learned from his time on the show here, he feels like it is necessary to have, um, I don't know, tea with people on the right who have been working in the Trump racist. administration. Yeah. Um, He's taking an Ianla approach to Sean Spicer. <laughs> Did you say Ianla? He's taking an Ianla approach to Sean Spicer. <laughs> I think Ianla would um, smack the shit out I of think, Sean Spicer. I think she would. <laughs> I think she would. Van Zandt better don't. Like, let's really take him out. But then, in an interview with Access Hollywood, Karamo said that Sean Spicer and I have been talking. Yeah, like, literally. I was most excited to meet him because, like, the thing is, people would look at us and think we're polar opposites. But I'm a big believer that if you can talk to someone and meet in the middle, you can learn about each other and help each other both grow. Hmm. We've been chatting all day today. Like, he's a good guy, a really sweet guy. I will note— He was not he asked was about Sean Spicer in this interview. He said it unprompted. If you watch the entire clip, he, the producer just asked him, so who's your biggest competition? And he immediately goes, actually, let me tell you something. I've been talking to Sean Spicer. So he had to respond to the backlash that was happening on Twitter. People were obviously going to ask him questions. But to not be asked the question, not to be asked about Sean Spicer, and to, to go out of your way to say, we are like at the peace accords, let freedom ring— with Sean Spicer shows that he wanted he wanted to be a part of the packet that says Karamo is cool Sean Spicer and at the end of the clip he looks dead ass to camera and said points to himself says Karamo Brown says Sean Spicer is a good guy yeah disgusting um the fact is the fact that he interprets Sean Spicer somehow just being on the other side of the aisle mm-hmm. when in fact he is a paid propagandist who screamed at reporters Basically, to humanize the media for a living, that's he's he's paid to be the opposition. He's not he's not even a pundit. Let's not forget that he also denied that um, the Nazis used gas on Jews during the Holocaust. He's also um, a fucking idiot is a big (laughs) important part of Sean Spicer's identity. Yes. Uh, Karamo later, actually, uh, Bobby Burke on the show and talking Mm -hmm. about Karamo and a series of tweets that were deleted. Bobby Burke always tried to fix everything. Correct. The only person who works on the show. The most talented queer I mean. (laughs) They didn't give him $150,000 in a West Elm budget this time. Um, But um, he said, all right, maybe this is part of the media training we get where you want to. And and Karamo added that he's uh, trained in social work. So he naturally wants to sit down with people who aren't like him. That's definitely the definition of a social worker. Right, right. What is he, Mariah Carey and Precious? How can you... Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> How can you be so doltish as to look at someone like Sean Spicer and think, 
He needs to hear where I'm coming from, and that will change what he thinks. Excuse me, he was paid to ruin your fucking life. Well, I mean, there is something to, like, I don't know Karamo Brown personally, but there is something to someone who uh, was on the real world and has taken this path to, he wants to be a personality based off of his opinions. When he, I re-listened to his interview with the uh, poor, poor Ira Madison, and he called himself the heart and mind expert. Like, he really is trying to brand himself as some type of would-be Oprah, and to then have such, to be so thin-skinned in your idiocy is, I mean, shows that he is nowhere prepared to actually make statements about these things. So, and here's the thing, too. It felt gross him saying Sean Spicer is a really good guy because it felt calculated. It felt like I am branding myself as the feel-good person, the person who can bridge the gap between the right and the left. And why would he want to be that person? Because he feels like he could have an audience from both sides mm-hmm. and a potential talk show, whatever, anything he has planned. Um, both people will come to watch him down the middle. You know, it's funny when people try and call him um, wanting to be Oprah, right? Because, like, we can make as many jokes about Oprah um, giving white women cars um, <laughs> and cash um, and phones to call 911 with. But <laughs> she, on her show, was always confronting white supremacy. She was confronting racism. She was... Um, helping gays be, like, normalized in America. But, like, the people that she would bring on the show, the conversations that she would have, they were real conversations. And I do not see Oprah going on some fucking interview and saying, oh, Sean Spicer's a really nice guy, right? And by the way, who the fuck cares that he might be nice? No one is sitting here questioning whether or not Sean Spicer is capable of having— a pleasant conversation with whomever is around. It's yeah. not it, like he's not, not relevant. Good. He's not yeah. good. He's not right. He's, he's not nice. nice. Damn, yes. I was about to be an into the woods reference. But also it's like there has been this creeping thing where we've always suspected that people like Sean Spicer or whomever else gets kicked out of the White House or resigns from the White House will then find other places in pop culture. He was backstage at the Emmys and people mm-hmm. got shit for taking pictures with him. And that was already scary enough. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was already like how Quickly, have we forgotten what he did, how aggressively he did it, and now he's just in our midst, and because we kind of recognize him, we're just like, well, fuck it, I guess he doesn't really work for him anymore. It's like, that is so pathetic that we can't, again, This is, we come back to this theme all the time on Keep It, cancellation is an ongoing process. I'm sick of people who dismiss cancel culture. Canceling is something that needs to be done with certain people, and we need to be steadfast when we do it. Right. Well, there is also something about, you know, ABC is it makes their bread and butter off of a lot of the conservative heartland. And so they are trying, the producers released a statement that we were very proud to have a diverse cast. So their version of that is to have someone who perpetuates the lies of an administration that speaks to a certain demographic of this country. That Diversity feels, in people who want kids in cages and who don't, don't want, want kids in cages. We have, there's two sides to each story. Um, but Let us not forget that ABC recently like put Roseanne back on TV, knowing full well the racist shit she was spewing online. Exactly. And I think, you know, uh, Krista Vernoff, the showrunner of Ellen Pompeo's Grey's Anatomy, even you know, <laughs> she tweeted out that, please reconsider. I believe I love working for my company. Paul Iger, you have time. And Tom Bergeron, the host, the host of Dancing with the Stars, was like, yo, 
What y'all doing? He also he said something that I thought was so brilliant. Actually, he was like, "Who?" He said, "I this should be a political show. Who turns tunes in and thinks I want to see more of that?" Mm-hmm. You know, um, and also just in general, put some more respect on Tom Bergeron's name. He is amazing at hosting that show, which is very hard. The What's amount that? of cues you're getting in your ear about who got, got what score, who said what, and then he has to come back with a droll one-liner. Always impressed with. I've him. always enjoyed the hosting panel, Dancing with the Stars. I mean, Kiriana Nava, please. Uh, Everything. Uh, Great and judge. I, I really like how Tom brought up the fact that he had had a conversation with producers, too, and was like, let's not do this. And then they agreed. And then at some point it was like, eh, no, we're going to do what we want. I mean, but it does speak to like the fact that all these people speaking out, Christopher enough, she's about to secure that bag and Tom is securing his bag as well. They All they can do is, all they are choosing to do is tweet. Tom, mm-hmm. you say, is a great host, uh, but he's going to continue hosting this show. And so for a show that's saying we're above politics, we really are going to have everyone on here. It's a safe space. No, by bringing a, a liar and, a, and someone who uh, is paid to to perpetuate hate into this space, you're making it a safer space for that hate. And I really loathe um, this need to say, well, he is a nice guy. Like people who are supporting niceties saying, don't call, don't cancel that person because they were nice to me this one time. This is a national uh, show that it has a lot of ad buyers and a lot, there's a lot of money around it. And for you to say, well, the cash that will fund this uh, conservative nightmare is worth it. Let's take it. Is I, I can't abide. Also, there's the fact that Karamo doing his um, Neo in the Matrix backbending to sort of say, I love Sean Spicer and we should have these conversations, right? It is very incongruous with what happened when the rest of the Queer Eye guys went to Capitol Hill and met with AOC. Mm-hmm. Because then he later tweeted that... Um, you know, he loves having conversations with people, but he doesn't want to participate in things that are divisive, even with them, their own political party. So he decided that because the like AOC was seen as divisive, he couldn't participate but in he's that. He's completely fine with. Sean but Spicer. he's confined with Sean Spicer. Like, I'm, make it make sense, as Monique said. I, I'm, I am, I have never had asthma before, and I'm about to have it. <laughs> that is very. Very frustrating. Also, I'm just remembering this right now. Didn't Jonathan Van Ness once upon a time call him out on camera for yep, being buddy panel. buddy with Karen Pence? Yes, he said he wanted to have a meeting with Karen Pence, and, and JVN was like, "She don't like you." And by the way, JVN, who's somebody we all know here, it has been criticized from time to time for being too centrist and mm-hmm. straight. So, like, even he is telling you, "You gotta stop, snap out yes. of it, girl." Yeah. Right? You know. And, and the thing is, like, I wish that I could say that someone who thinks that we should be having respectful conversations uh, would maybe learn from this. But the way that he was blocking uh, LGBTQ critics on um, Twitter Twitter, and then deleting his account. Um, closing the comments on his Instagram. Closing the comments on his Instagram shows that he is really not prepared to deal with it. You know, And I'm not going to get into any of the particulars of it, but I did have a offline conversation with Karamo, and he seems to be firmly stuck in his, um, I'm just trying to approach the world the way that I see it. And he sees everyone else as um, aggressors, particularly like the largely white gay people um, who were criticizing him. And here's the thing. There weren't a lot of gay black... people have fought a long time to have yeah. this aggression. Yes. And here, and here's the thing. Uh, I get that he could maybe see it as, um, you know, 
black gay people should also support each other, you know? Um, but the reason we weren't some of those people attacking him because we were trying to support mm -hmm. him at first, you know, like I don't want to see a prominent black gay person um, being canceled, being dragged down in the mud, et cetera. But you also have to understand that you're choosing to align yourself with fascism uh, and make excuses for it is um, not something that I can defend. And it's not something that I feel is helpful to black queer people. And also I feel I I don't I completely agree. And I try to give the benefit of the doubt for as long as possible. But in this case, he's continually decided to choose the ambivalent on the side of these uh, conservatives who are not supporting uh, the queer bodies or their rights to exist. So I, I'm kind of, I'm really over that. But at the same time, why are we expecting a nuanced perspective from someone whose like version of like dealing with your mental health is going to an orange theory class? <laughs> on the show? Well, but here's the thing too, and it's the same thing with Taylor a bit. Um, no one was expecting Karamo to become a mouthpiece for politics. I found a lot of the articles about it said that, you know, he was expected to become an activist because he's black and because he's gay and prominent right now. Mm -mm. He's in the fucking Queer Eye cast, okay? We chill. did not need any of this from him. It would have been very easy for him to shut his mouth. We started talking about him in the context of politics because he is the first person who brought up wanting to break bread with Mike and Karen Pence. Gleefully so. It was him so. Yeah. that introduced this into um, his repertoire. So if you're going to do that, you're going to have to put on the whole fucking performance. I also have to say, unfortunately, that these statements sort of make me recalibrate and recontextualize what I think of the show Queer Eye mm -hmm. and how much, how much of it is painting queer people as uh, uh, people who will go beyond what is expected of them and reach out to people who make them feel unsafe mm -hmm. and how much the show makes the quote unquote opposition look altogether friendly and willing to hear where we're coming from. And like, we can go and change that. It just, I feel like what Karamo has gotten out of Queer Eye has informed his point of view in a strange way. I mean, because that's largely how we think about homophobia and even racism in America, if they right? they meet me, we then are, they'll yeah. know that I'm better than yeah. them and mm -hmm. that they should care about all of us. No, Karamo, you're only concerned about yourself. And we are often taught, uh, specifically as queer people, to, you know— expect tolerance, you know, and to be nice to these people because once we're nice to them, then we can get what we want. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. That's why we always bring up the fact that Stonewall was a fucking riot. Like we're, we're not safe in these environments. Mm -hmm. And the idea that you have a show where they're trucking along like the Scooby-Doo and the fucking mystery machine mm -hmm. into Trump land where any other people not with um, a Netflix camera crew exactly, with the would get hate teams. crimes. Right. Yeah. And again, it's like, I obviously, I, I think I've probably seen every episode of that show. I mean, I do enjoy things about it. I think that the entire cast in different ways is talented. I like just, when they work with queer people on the that's, show. I, that's, I, oh, that's always my note. If they only worked with other queer people, that to me would be very rare. But I do. Th but on the instances they have worked with queer people, I have felt those episodes wanting. Yeah, because there is, you know, there was a gay man in Atlanta and uh, that beautiful um, young woman who uh, lost her, didn't really have any connection with her family. And uh, 
and or with uh, many black and with black culture. And Karamo took her to uh, Alvin Ailey, like tr- tried to connect her to something, but it also felt very Wikipedia. And she made the she made the he made the black gay guy Michael in Atlanta like go through Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yeah, <laughs> like walking on a bridge in the woods. Exactly. So it feels, <laughs> Lord, oh my God. So there is something I hear you, and that maybe could ra- radicalize it in a in a less safe way and see them interacting with que- with queer folk in these counties that don't feel safe but i don't think the show has shown that they are equipped to deal with that especially uh the heart and mental health experts i feel like actually no matter what happens in the show it will always be a little contrived yeah. frankly mm-hmm. just the setup of it i mean even in one of these episodes somebody has to come out to their mom on camera mm-hmm. and it's like i don't i just don't think i should be seeing it yeah. it's like a crazy feeling for me but um i do think there's the, an idea of queer people using what is kind of uh, I, I'm sorry to use this word, magical about being queer to help other queer people. I do think there is something Karamo, empowering. Karamo, the magical and cool. Negro and the magical queer. There we, see, the God. dimensions. <laughs> um, but anyway, this whole thing has gotten me thinking about what the point of Queer Eye is. Well, The point is for that Netflix needs a lot of content. Because Apple that. and Amazon are coming for them. But also, I believe I would be friends with Tan, so I'm thinking oh, about Oh, no, that. we would all be friends with Tan. Yeah. Um, I... I actually got his book, Naturally Tan, and I adore it. I love, I tan. love tan. I and love I, Tan. And that's the hard, that is the hard thing about it. It's like I I started the most recent season, and in the first episode, they're at Jonathan's high school, and they're helping his Oh, yeah, in music. Quincy, Illinois. Yeah, Quincy, Illinois. And they're helping uh, Illinois, his, as Karamo pronounced it. That S at the end. He really said that <laughs> multiple times. Um, but uh, they're in that high school, and Karamo goes to a uh, classroom and says, uh, I am KB. You don't have to call me Mr. Brown. I'm KB. And I had to take a three-week pause from continuing <laughs> that entire season. But when you get to the um, man who lived in his parents' house and loved his nieces more than anything and really wanted to to bring them back into their home, it did touch me. And there is, there is something about seeing, you know, these folks that I would never know anything about their lives and I really empathize with. But you have to figure out how much power and how much of a microphone we're giving to people who are not taking the time to educate themselves in a nuanced way. And unfortunately, Karamo realized that he didn't know what he was talking about. Especially when you are positioning yourself as the gateway for people to become more educated. Exactly. I mean, well, who knew that? Antony would turn out to actually be the least annoying <laughs> of I the group. I don't know. He said to a straight ass to a black woman this season, you remind me of my mother. I don't speak to my mother. And so I am wow. dead. My yeah. how the tapas tables have turned. Well, I haven't seen the new season, so all I see is Antony is when people re-gram um, his underwear photos. And I'm like, cool, I'll take it. Bust down, Tatiana, bust down. <laughs> <laughs> when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. Just keep, keep it. it. Is there a jingle now? Just keep it. <laughs> Gonna keep it. Come on down, shucking and jiving. <laughs> oh, my God. That video had me. My keep it should be to the fact that there is a restaurant called Shucking and Jiving in Florida. I had to throw my phone when I saw that. It's black owned. 
black operated and hopefully black disowned no I'm kidding <laughs> I don't know baby it's Florida Riri what is your keep it today my keep it is uh, nuclear war against hurricanes mm. I I'm for it so I'm interested so to hear what pro- you have to let's say let's argue no I <laughs> um, so uh, reported by Axios uh, President Tr- Donald John Trump has on at least two occasions in the first year of his uh ten- Is that his middle name? It's Don John. His name's Don John. Mm. Life is wild. Um not the not that movie about what that sweet. I never knew what the J stood for. <laughs> I love to educate. <laughs> anyway, um there it was reported that on at least two occasions he asked why we can't nuke hurricanes. And there is a report out of some sort of weather organization that had to be generated to explain to him why we probably shouldn't. I don't know why this broke my brain because he he's saying more and more reckless things and it is seems like he's doing a version of there are worse things I can do, but he's no Rizzo, so I don't really want to play that game with him. Uh-huh. And it... So I looked at the definitely or- aborted as many babies as Rizzo, if not more. Oh my! Oh, you're doing the stage version, not the movie version. Um, <laughs> but so I like looked into it. Apparently, this has been an idea since 1961 that someone mentioned that we could possibly nuke hurricanes. And so he's he's living off of a reference he heard when he was 15, which is very strange. And as someone who saw the episode of Different Strokes, where acid rain turned homegirl's hair green, I learned at least that that's not what you're supposed to do. And what it, what this really is about is the refusal by most major press organizations to have a, ma- a macro conversation about the sanity of this man. I was watching Reliable Sources with uh, Brian Stelter on CNN, and he was talking— Why would you ever watch Brian be- Stelter do anything? Because I watch CNN in the mornings when I can't lift my head. Uh, and he he for a moment was talking about this and it was it is really interesting and it is a formatting issue when it comes to a lot of these daily 24 hour news cycles is that they can deal with one crazy thing at a time. They can deal with the fact that he is trying to buy Greenland. They can deal with the fact that today he was asked, you keep changing your position about meeting in Iran. He's like, yeah, I've done. I like to change my positions. It's good for me in business. But there isn't we're not having a big conversation about is this man this man is see now. Why can't we talk about it? Because every the, every conversation ends with, well, we're not doctors. We can't speculate. And it. He sure would if somebody else was talking crazy. Why aren't we? Like, this needs to be a bigger conversation. You wouldn't let, like, Meemaw Patty drive the car. Why is he in the White House? And I and I know that this is this is we're talking about this on different forums in different places. And for some reason, this hurricane thing just blew my blew my mind because it could blow us all up. And I just can't handle the ambivalent coverage of this, the insanity. Right. It, like his, the stupidity has gotten so sick, both outrageous and succinct. Exactly. Like it's down to a three, like nuke hurricanes. It's so, it's, it's so crazy, but so, also seemingly so obviously crazy that why can't we just dismiss it, you know, soundly exactly. immediately. And um, so there, there, I guess there is an argument for the people. I'm like, he said this crazy thing. It's not true. Let's keep going. But I want to feel blood boiling. I don't want to just be stuck in the echo chamber of my particular Twitter that is just like, I don't know, half Audra McDonald and half people screaming into the wind. And <laughs> so my key, I don't know. My keep it is just get our, our, our blood pressure needs to heighten because at this level of just medium, valued, comatose lifestyle, 
nothing's going to change and we're not going to have the important conversations we need to have about the competency of the executive branch. <sighs> well so done. That's Actually, where I'm at. I do agree with you. Oh, I thought you were talking about. So you about- can change minds if you sit down at a table? Well, actually, I thought that you were talking about the president wanting to nuke the 1999 film, The Hurricane, starring Denzel Washington. Oh, I yeah, don't no, like. no, 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 no. Nuke that movie. <laughs> Lewis, what's your key? Uh, take that, Reuben Carter. Wow. <laughs> Strong take. Uh, this is one of those keep it's I'm going to regret because this is a movie that is in the shape of something I should love. Uh, my keep it is to the is movie. Is it a woman in a car? Not yet. Contemplating? Uh, almost. There's Actually, she is in a car for a second. It's to the movie Ready or Not, which is uh, technically a horror movie, but it's also a comedy. You guys can't see how much he just rolled his eyes, but it was spectacular. Me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so Ready or Not is... First of all, horror fans like to pick a movie, uh, a horror movie that non-horror fans need to see, and this was the one I was bombarded oh, with. So I went us and did horror it. fans, yeah, enjoy yourselves. Um, but here's the thing: it's a woman who gets married to a guy, and she's marrying into a household that is built on board games and uh, 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 just general fun. Basically, they, they have an empire of board games, and so on the wedding night, she has to draw a card and play a game with the family. Okay. A lot of the games are benign. Some are old maid or chess or whatever. She draws hide and seek. What does that mean? The family's now going to hunt her and kill her. Here's the thing. If the movie were about a family that was obsessed with games and they brought her in and they were like, now you have to play this game where we're going to kill you, that would be one thing. But they didn't tell her they were going to kill her. So her husband had to... Um, Uh, be a traitor to the family and like slip it to her. They're trying to kill you and I have to help you. Then later in the movie, as she's being stalked, whatever other, other members of the family start helping her too. Here's the thing. Commit to your crazy conceit. Be like, it's a murderous family. They're all after you, including your husband, and you're going to die. Because they have an amazing actress in this whose name is Samara Weaving. Do you know who Margot Robbie is? We have another one of those now. Well, I mean, Samara Weaving, she has a point. She's an icon. She's a legend. And she is the moment. One day I'm going to just really turn off your internet and not let you deal with it at all. Samara Weaving is another Margot Robbie. And additionally, her last name is a gerund. Okay. In this movie, she she has a real macabre humor that actually makes you believe you're watching a smarter movie than what you're seeing. Because the movie has like, it, it feels like Clue or something. You know, it's in a big house, lots of rooms. You might get a hologram of Madeline Kahn if they're cool enough, but no, they aren't. They aren't. I know. It's never not horrible that she's dead. It's never not dead. Anyway. Um, but the movie wants to be a wicked murder mystery, but it, instead it keeps shying away from the conceit. And that really depresses me because committing to these conceits is what I love about an escapist murder mystery type movie. And by the way, the last line of this movie, she's like a final girl. The last line is dumb. The last line is a sub Garfield joke. (laughs) And you know, I actually stand Garfield in the way. So I don't. um, I'm sorry to throw him under the bus like this. I do appreciate the allusion to Heather's. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. But I listen, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was fun. I thought it was rollicking. I thought it was a ride. Uh, also, I appreciated I, it for a lot of the jokes and the performances and the satire of just, you know, wealthy people. I, the conceit of some of the game could have been better. Um, and some of the directing, there are a lot of close-ups on her converse. Oh, yeah, right. Well, she's Didn't, running, guys. Yeah. She's running. Uh, I think they just wanted to let you know that she was wearing sensible shoes as a woman in the movie. It wasn't a bright Dallas so Howard she wouldn't get, Yes. And the best uh, horror scene in a dumbwaiter since Halloween H2O. Mm. So I will say that. But, Louis, so from what I hear, your problem is that people don't properly explain games. Well, it's just... 
the whole conceit of the movie is these are people who run twisted games, but then they don't play the twisted game. Mm. It's the, the equivalent of a game night where nobody cares about the game. That bothers me because I've been baby. to that game night I and know, guess baby. how I am upset. You are upset. Mm. Yes. yes. Is it, I wonder what would have happened if she pulled old maid. Right, right. They I have just a, played it. Like, I have a lot of questions purely based off of the picking of the game. Yeah. I haven't seen this movie. I had planned on seeing it. I'd heard it's interesting, but you it is. You should see it. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's hard when you want something to be smarter than it is. Correct. That's exactly what I wanted. Uh, I would actually say the movie Game Night is a little bit better because you get uh, yeah. funnier performances in I it. I like Game Night. I like yeah. Game Night. I really Rachel like Rachel McAdams Night. is really funny in this. Actually, Adam Brody did an okay job in this movie. I thought Adam Brody was great. Yeah. Eddie McDowell gave you the... 60th percentile Andy McDowell performance you expected. You know what? Uh, she went to four weddings and a funeral. She had to get That's out true. of That's true. Is this like if Succession had guns? Uh, there isn't. <laughs> yeah, they are kind of dopes in the way that the yeah, characters like in Succession are. Yeah, like stupid people with power yeah. have guns. I find so that a, a somewhat conventional take on power, though. Oh, can you believe it? They're big dummies who don't know what to do with all their money. It's just not that compelling on a horror level. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe we just know a lot about power at this point. True. Like there are a lot of folks. It's demystified. Yeah, there are a lot of folk who are just you know chilling, thinking it's you know it is the folk on the hundredth floor, or it's someone on a plantation, or the guy who owns all of the main street. Like there, it, there is an accessibility to the uh, scary man with a twirly mustache and his wife, who's Andy McDowell in a mansion. <laughs> I think that what it does do right about power is the people who are complicit in it, and mm-hmm. I thought that all the stuff with the Wait, staff was great. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. Upstairs, downstairs, loving upstairs, downstairs. Mm-hmm. All right. What's your keep it, Ara? My keep it this week is to something we've talked about before on this fucking show. This continued insistence that there is a rivalry between Maria Sharapova Maria. and Serena Williams. It's there. crazy that we still talk to her, talk about her after what she wrote about Serena in that book. Right. Um, and so it after she wrote that racist shit about Serena in the book, mm-hmm. we're still treating her as a figure we should be talking about. After her doping scandal, we're still giving a fuck about this white woman. And the fact that the media is still playing into this rivalry thing, the fact that she even has the gall to try and play Serena again is <laughs> wild. She has lost to this woman 19 times. Ooh, girl. How many times has she won? Twice. That's, wild. I mean, n- numbers are numbers. She a fact. is a, I said this on Twitter, she is a villain in a kid's <laughs> TV show who keeps coming back each week with a different scheme and has never one. And she, she is, is no plankton. The brain. She is Dr. Claw. She is Rita Repulsa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she also- is whoever the villains in Big Bad Beetleborgs were. I can't remember, <laughs> but it was, they came out of comic books. <laughs> She's unseated right now, right? So this was a luck of the draw that they they played this first round, which was, I mean, I guess the draw. At this Luck point of the is draw. I'm, sh- I'm sure. I'm sure. You got you got U.S. Open conspiracies. I do have now? U.S. Open conspiracies. Cool. Okay. I don't know. I don't the only know. luck of the draw I like, Bonnie Wright's album. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also someone, I I watched part of the match. Someone asked Serena after, uh, Maria always seems to bring the best out of you. How does it feel playing her? And it's like, 
ma'am, she was, Serena was at a five. Like, yeah. this wasn't her stretching. She's beat this woman 17 times. Naomi brought the best out of Serena oh, um, yeah. and some of the worst. Never but um, Maria? Yeah. Maria? But I mean, they always, I mean, ugh, God, everyone has spoken about this who has a brain is the need for this media, mediocre doping white lady to be equated to some, the best of her sport gender period. It's like they want us to think Maria Sharapova is like Susan Lucci. Like she keeps losing, but she's at so one close. point we're yeah. going to see her. Oh, she's really going to best Serena this time. No, Maria Sharapova is not Susan Lucci. Susan Lucci fought a bear. Indeed she did. I need you also, to Also, Susan Lucci seems super nice. Yeah, she's very nice. Um, I will also just give a shout out to Serena's husband, Alexis Ohanian, who number one stan fan number one stan fan and also very good at shade (laughs) he wore a dare shirt to the match no (laughs) that's what i want this is what having a camera in front of you is all about (laughs) clear direct messaging t-shirt based messaging yes Oh my god, it's so amazing. He like what I I just love that he knows how blessed he is to be with his wife, and it's amazing. But then when you cut to him having jokes, like right, they're yeah. just in that house in Florida, like having plans and plots. I love that. Or he went to like some sort of I don't know vintage shop and was like, I really uh, do you have any dare memorabilia? I right. Mean, I wonder how much planning. I know. Into is it was it spontaneous or was it like a long con? Like these are the questions I have for Mister Alexis. <laughs> Alexis was also like liked like a couple tweets that were about how dare this rivalry still be going on, you know. Oh yeah. So he knows. I he love a good it. secret like or two hidden mm. hidden in Twitter for the for the detectives yeah, to the, locate. Yeah, the internet, the secret place where you like things. <laughs> the subtle place. Exactly. Yeah. I, to the uh, subtle place. <laughs> I think he watches a black lady sketch show. I see that for him, yeah. I mean, yeah. Serena, when she's not going to be about her tennis business, will be on season four, five of it. I see that for her, too. I, yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, so great. Anyway, that's our show. That's it. That was a whole lot of show. So yeah. congrats to everybody for sticking around. That was <laughs> a that was a supersized episode of Keep It. It was a super chiller. A Fear Street super chiller. Tom um, Bergeron, I'm here for you. <laughs> It's been a long, it's been a long day. Joe Alwyn, I support whoever you are. Well, thanks again to Robin Thede. Thank you, Robin Thede. And thanks to Riri Cheney. Oh, yeah. thanks, guys. I love being here early in the morning on Tuesday. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide 
and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 